You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom. This is To Stir with Love, Tales from Prison. Well, Rabbi Yitzchok, uh, just a couple of days before Purim, and when I look at the Megillah, uh, it strikes me, and it always has, uh, the emphasis on this phrase in various uh, formats of am v'am kilshono, the Sfarim gets sent uh, to, to the 127 Medinos, all of them kilshonam. Uh, in fact, Ahasuerus's first, um, after he, his first decree, after he kills Vashti, of course, is that lives kolish so rare beveso umedaber kilshonamo. Rashi, of course, famously says that you can force the person to speak. The husband can force the wife. He has to learn his language. Um, and 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 throughout the Megillah, you know, we 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 talk about Chazal um, uh, Mordechai being the bookie b'shivim l'shonos. The idea of 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 this multifaceted world where there is different ways to say things, that there's different ways to say the same thing. Um, the the Havana of even Mordechai and Esther's name uh, being, of course, like Mordak and Ishtar. So I'm sort of like fascinated by languages and translations. And I thought about you in this manner because I realized that the people who are guilty or found guilty of crimes and who end up being incarcerated um, aren't just people who speak the king's English or who speak uh, the Appalachian English. There's probably, uh, and I'm sure, many people who are, who aren't able to speak English uh, or who speak it very in a rudimentary way, whether they are uh, full citizens of the United States or not. Um, and so let's talk a little bit about some of the issues and problems and solutions when there is a language barrier uh, between people like yourself, the COs, and the, and the people that are being incarcerated. So why don't you talk a little bit about that, about what happens, let's say, where you're presently uh, employed. And what do you do when you have someone who's, who's been put behind bars who you can't speak directly to? I assume Spanish is probably the most common thing, right? We, we have quite a number of languages that are spoken in the prison and, and quite colorful language that's spoken in the prison. It's <laughs> different than, uh, you know, even the English is, is not, it's not quite uh, what you would expect either, whether it's vulgar or whether there's a certain prison slang, although a lot of the prison slang terms tend to change over the years. Uh, but uh, as far as foreign languages and as far as inmates who, do not speak English and only speak a foreign language. The most common is indeed Spanish, although we have a few Russian speakers. We have one fellow who's uh, Ethiopian and speaks Amharic, but I believe he also speaks English. Uh-huh. Um, but the um, you know the, the most common language that uh, is is uh, other than English, although the vast majority of our inmates are English speakers. The most common language is is Spanish. We have a few people who are native Arabic speakers, but they, they were all fluent in English. Uh, but as far as the, um, as far as the Spanish language, we actually go out of our way to have a separate church service. Uh, and not only in Waymart, but in, I would say most of the prisons in Pennsylvania specifically have a separate Spanish Protestant church service. Uh-huh. 
Although a number of our Jewish inmates, uh, Spanish is their primary language. That's so. So let's say you have to interact with them. Obviously, you know, and you, you need to minister, talk to them. Um, now, I, I assume you took Spanish in high school and you probably picked up um, uh, some what some phrases mean. But if you really need to have a heart to heart and really have a discussion and, and, and do real instruction, what are you going to do, Yitzchok, when you have to speak to one of your Spanish inmates? Well, I, I definitely took Spanish in junior high school when I was still in public school. Then when I was in ninth grade is when I switched over to, to yeshiva. And the at the time, they still had in New York a language regents test. And so our language was, was Ivrit. And so <laughs> something happens to me when I try to speak Spanish. Every now and then, for some reason, words come out in Ivrit, which kind of reminds <laughs> me of, of uh, Jackie Mason's joke that the, the Israelis speak, speak Hebrew like Puerto Ricans. But... <laughs> They, uh, and actually, I was down. Uh, we went to Panama, and I asked you about what do you do when you have to go into the in, into a cell or speak to them. What do you do? You can't speak yeah. that language. He's not going to understand the manishma, you know, uh, He's not going to understand that your fellow. He's not your taxi driver. What? Do you, how are you going to speak to that person? Uh, well, generally, we'll have another inmate who can translate. Uh, from uh, English to Spanish, and I, and I, again, I understand it well enough that I can tell if he's if he's mistranslating something I say. Mm. Uh, I, 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 you know, I perform weddings for all kinds of people, and I do a lot of Spanish language weddings. But that's just reading a script. That's a little easier than carrying on a conversation. So I, I yeah, do yeah, my okay. best. Yo sabe, yo sabe. Yeah, the mo the most common, you know, reason why I would have to be ministering to someone in that case is if they. They lost someone, if they, which is a very difficult time. Um, but we, uh, that's 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 uh, those are the times when I had the, you know, the these issues is. Uh, so, and, so using a third person might be difficult, especially when what you want to convey is, you know, you, you want your words to to drip with the emotion and feeling. And when you have to say it in English and then, you know, the, uh, the translator doesn't necessarily, doesn't have your feeling. It doesn't have your, yeah. your sense of passion. And it can come out very dry and, and, you know, hopefully you can I still. Mean, we're, we're, we're blessed that it's not an Emil Cohen routine. I don't know if you're familiar with Emil Cohen with uh, his, his translator. We, the fact of the matter is the ones who, actually have been the translators tend to be the more i would say pastoral um members of the of the inmate uh community we have certain inmates who are uh religious um facilitators to help out with religious services and particularly like i mentioned the spanish um the spanish church service that is conducted they they go out of their way to have I anything see. that's said in Spanish is translate to English. Mm. And so if the pastor, the one pastor who we had who actually passed away, I went to his funeral, which was quite a sight. This, uh, this Spanish, I, I guess, somewhat Pentecostal uh, type of funeral. It was, they were singing and dancing and they were very, uh, it was a very positive mood at the, at the funeral of this, uh, because mm. of their faith and their, you know, excitement that he's in heaven now. Um, but this uh, this pastor didn't really speak English very well. But the 
but one inmate would translate. Now his son has succeeded him, but he ha we haven't been able to have volunteers come in, so it, mm -hmm. he only came in a handful of times. But his I guess uh, Spanish. So Spanish has, is is definitely something which, uh, because of how common it is spoken in the United States, and because, as you say, you do have those sympathetic inmates, so you get through that. Um, any other languages there in uh, Waymart that uh, that are a little bit off the beaten track? That besides Spanish, which is somewhat common, uh, well, um, we we did, we had a whole episode about the Russians. Uh -huh. And how we have a, a Russian Orthodox priest who has actually born in Poland and his father is actually American, but that's neither here nor there. But this, um, he speaks Russian as well as Polish and Ukrainian, and he's able to communicate with, there's one inmate who speaks Russian and Ukrainian, doesn't really speak any English, and he, he will communicate with him as will some of the interns who are uh, fluent in those languages right. so as we said the seminarians they were the ones they're going to be they're going to they can help you out in that way in terms yeah, of they're, they're, this this particular inmate kind of has canceled though uh our chaplain because he he asked him to make a phone call on the outside and he, he said no i can't do that uh but you know obviously that's a, a very manipulative thing that an inmate could do but also a very dangerous thing and when he reported it to the uh to the security, uh, you know, commanding officers in the secure, security department, they said, you know, if he would, if they said, you know, Father so and so, if you would have made that phone call, you probably would have lost your job. But not only that, you probably would have put your family in danger because this person is probably a member of the Russian mafia. You know, it's, mm -hmm. uh, I can not... see. Uh, you know, I, 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 you know, thinking about this, I think that, of course, you said that one of the one of the most common things that you're involved in, of course, not just teaching them about the beauty of religion, but also having to comfort them and be involved in them when something terrible has happened in their family, a death. Uh, but I, I was wondering if the CEOs that we've talked about in the past um, also are are told by you and and the administrators that hey this is a, a, an inmate who doesn't understand English, and therefore you can't uh, expect the same sort of reaction because uh, I'm sure the COs aren't fluent in Spanish, and if there's an inmate that they need to discipline or talk to or to say to get in line, um, and the and the inmates not understanding it, you have like a tower of Belleville type of thing where, you know, the, 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 the screw, so to speak, thinks that the, uh, the guy is being chutzpahdik when he really just doesn't understand what's, what's being said. Um, that, that, that sounds like my children hater because they, they speak English at home and I send them to either speaking <laughs> but the, uh, yeah, the, the, uh, the, the COs are aware of that. We do have some who speak Spanish, even some who are, you know, coming from Spanish-speaking backgrounds. And also my supervisor's supervisor, who when I was first hired was my direct supervisor, and then he got a promotion, even though he's he's all American and uh, of Italian ancestry, he's very, very fluent in Spanish. So whenever they need to uh, translate, you know, something, they'll quite often speak to um this deputy um uh -huh. you know he's he's uh, one of the uh one of the big spanish uh, translators that we have yeah. also i'm just wondering before we get to the the, the you know jews who are not uh, fluent in english um i'm just wondering if some of the inmates might actually hide the fact that they um that they speak 
uh, English and might, you know, want to continue as sort of like a, 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 a person who doesn't know the language because they think it, it, it gives them certain leniencies. Does that make any sense to you? You know, someone who, in other words, um, they think that if they act like they don't know English, then they could actually, it gives them a cocoon to go I into, think, but also gives them a way to sort of ignore certain things to I, say I, they didn't I, understand it. I think that's how Andy Kaufman uh, saved himself from being mugged. That's how he created the Latka Gravis uh, character <laughs> yeah. because he was he was being mugged and he said, no, I, I don't speak English. And then right. uh, it's, it's very possible. It's uh, I... Obviously, there's no way for me to know whether. I, I want to tell you, it's not only it's not only a, the Jew Andy Kaufman, but the yeshiva guys all over the world. When they are stopped by police, many times will use that to say, you know, <laughs> or, 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 as if they didn't understand or they couldn't read the uh, the the sign. The the other way works also. If you're in Israel and you you insist you only know English, it also uh, it works that way also. But you don't know of that being a a, a prison and a, outfit aspect. Okay, let's talk about um, uh, Yidden in prison, Jews that are prison who English is not their uh, language. Um, we've talked in the past about the Rosh Hashiva, um, and I think um, you know we before we started recording, you mentioned to me that he actually was fluent in in, in English. Um, but but there are cases, right? And there are prisoners that you know of who who are from our people who do not speak English where they are incarcerated, right? I, I've I've heard stories like that. I know there's a prison, also in Pennsylvania, a federal prison that's actually the hub for anyone. It's Allenwood, anyone who's an immigrant who's trying to become a citizen while they're in prison. Uh, and they're actually be able to, uh, which is an incredible thing that you're able to, while being a federal inmate, you're able to become naturalized as a citizen. And mm. so therefore, um, there was uh, Mr. Samet, who just was released from prison recently, uh, whose English isn't very good if, if it, you know, he's a Yushalmi Yid and he lives in Monroe, but I don't think his English is that good. And I've heard of some other Yushalayim or Eden, who were there in uh, in Allenwood, um, I actually heard that from the, a, a chaplain who was uh, used to work there and was uh, somewhere else. When so I these met, are so. some of the Shababnik kids who are uh, who were probably uh, Shanghai up there, right? The ones you who know, took Shababnik because they could be Chanyakis who who are who are just so uh, also Shanghai. They're they're so Tamimistic uh, that they wind up. They wind up care. They wind up like you know. Can you take this for me? And uh, turns out that it's drugs. And then yeah. when they get to the uh, customs, when they get uh, uh, through uh, custom control, the dogs sniff it out. And and yeah. I mean, and that, it happens all over the world. You know, there were the boys in in Japan. There's a girl now, uh, I think, in the Ukraine. It it happens way too often that uh, people get get. Uh, they're nichshal and trying to yeah. be in the, well. There's usually some money that's behind it as well, and uh, yeah, or, or a free vacation or something like that. Yeah, and so so some of these kids are in are in federal prison and they don't speak English. I can imagine it's it's doubly tough for them. Do you think they get um, a a Shiid or someone up there who speaks Yiddish that can translate for them, or someone who speaks Hebrew? I I, I really don't know. I'm not I'm not involved with with what goes on there, but. If you're in Allenwood, Pennsylvania, it's not as easy as as if one was in uh, in Otisville. 
which is in New York, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I assume when we've talked about the good works of Chabad and the Aleph Foundation, I assume that um, uh, you know once if these if 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 some of our brothers and sisters are incarcerated, that uh, Chabad and others will be there to to help them uh, to medaber things should medaber koshon amol. I think it is fascinating that prison is a place that, like we said, that you know the type of discipline that's demanded there might be. You know, it might be a for the for the chaver that you're talking about that they could learn English, or be taught English uh, as a way. Well, they, they do. They certainly have programs where they're taught English, and also there's another aspect of learning languages which is more connected to my work, is uh, learning sacred languages. Whether it's learning Hebrew if you're Jewish, learning Hebrew and Greek if you're Christian, learning Arabic if you're Muslim. Even the Lenape language is something that's being taught uh, somewhat in our uh, prison to the Native American uh, community. I'm sure the uh, the um, Odinists they like to learn the runes, the ancient uh, alphabet. Mm. So it so it isn't just a, a means of communicating orders. It's also something to 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 brighten up, or in a certain sense, to expand them, to to give them something to do, right? And to actually. It is, but there's a danger in it too, because if if someone is learning these languages for nefarious reasons, uh, in order to to be able to use it as a as a code, you know, uh, like the Navajo code talkers were using it for good, uh, the the inmates could use these these languages for for nefarious reasons. So it's it's a danger, and it's something that a lot of the prisons did not want to allow to take place, but yet it. Um, uh, you know, various lawsuits ensued, as is generally the case when any kind of a religious accommodation is made, it's because of lawsuits or fear of lawsuits. And so that's generally how it, it took place was that it started off uh, the security uh, department said, absolutely not. We don't want the Muslims learning Arabic. We don't want the, the Jews learning Hebrew. We don't want anybody learning any languages. We don't want runes and there's another issue with the runes is because it's a divination device and it could be used to manipulate people and yet uh, because of uh, various lawsuits and so forth the inmates were given access to runes and also to uh, uh, tarot cards for various uh, wow. other, so. other uh, uh, pagan groups the Wiccans use tarot cards as a religious devotion and that was a big problem because they were afraid, oh, this guy is going to be manipulating someone else. Look at me. I, uh, I'm, I'm uh, you know, I'm going to read your cards. So the, the uh, shara was that they could, an inmate could use it for their own purposes, but they couldn't read someone else's cards. They oh, could use I see. So you know, they could read their own cards, but not. Not the not their fellows' cards, right? So, in other words, I guess from a, from a disciplinarian standpoint, what they would like is, you know, everything is in English. You got to learn the language, and they don't want people communicating and anything else. They want everybody. They want to be able to. They don't want. They don't want it to happen that there's things they don't understand that are being whispered about and talked about. And uh, unfortunately, that's not going to happen, right? Because there is going to be uh, knowledge is power. And there is going to be some aspect, although limited, they are going to be able to converse and perhaps get, you know, as you say, a sense of camaraderie, whether it's a sense of manipulation or not. It definitely will foster a strong bond that uh, can maybe make it more tolerable 
uh, instead of having to be everything monolithic in terms of uh, one language and one command, you know, it's almost... Um, we, we All the signs that are up around the prison are, are in both English and, and Spanish. Mm-hmm. Uh, not all the signs, but the majority of them are, mm-hmm. are in both languages. Uh, yeah. right, which is sort of reflective in, in the rest of the country. So um, I, I think we have to view this as something positive. You know, again, you know, the pushback, I think, has resulted in a more humane, uh, humane situation, uh, despite the, the security risks uh, that might be there. Okay, well, it's not only more humane, it's also, uh, as far as religion goes, as, you know, we know from our faith, that we we daven in, in Lashon Hakodesh, and the you know the the Arabs also are probably even more makvid that they all of their prayers have to be in Arabic, and the study of the Quran has to be in Arabic. I think we're our our religion is a little bit more open minded to to other languages than than uh, Islam is as far as Arabic goes for for any sacred uh, missions, and then uh, and then again the, so the, so at least for these two faiths. And uh, it's 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 a mandate more than just a source of you know uh, education and and uh, to and be scholarship. able uh, to be able to uh, know what the Hebrew words mean to be able to pray in that. Um, did you ever have anybody who uh, wasn't from our faith who took a strong interest in Hebrew? I mean, a lot uh, certainly a lot of the Christians. I, I I was giving a Hebrew class where I think more than half of the participants were Christians who specifically. You know, they wanted to know biblical Hebrew, and one actually taught himself both Hebrew and Greek, and was was I don't know Greek well enough to really know, but I know Hebrew well enough that I could attest that this fellow was 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 uh, pretty fluent <laughs> wow. and 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 had a good grasp of the language, as well as one of you know one Yid who also he learns, he gets uh, Chabad sends them. Uh, 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 kind of like a not not a chokli Israel. It's called Chayenu, but similar. Right, I know. Of, sure. And, sure. They, and he learns it, and he and you know he'll ask me, you know, about what Rashi says. And, you know, he I can see this fellow who grew up conservative, but he he knows how to learn. You know. And and obviously the the language is one of the most important things to be able to do it not in translation, uh, really gives you that that sense. This this non Jewish fellow who's learning Hebrew, he's a religious fellow, or are he just doing yeah, it for scholastic reasons? No, a very devout Christian, uh-huh. and uh, born again Christian, and and so whereas we had other, we, there was one fellow who was listed as no religion, but was attending the imams. Uh, uh, Arabic class because he wanted to learn another language. That was more scholastic as opposed to this one. Uh, he specifically wanted to be able to read the Bible in the original tongues. This, this well, one in the, now. Well, as we're about to, you know, on Thursday night and on Friday, of course, we'll be reading the Megillah, and, uh, which we know is Nikhta Bacholoshon. In fact, uh, right, it's, um, you know, obviously you want to hear it in the original, but we know the Megillah can be written and read. In uh, in all the languages, right? In fact, uh, so uh, it seems like uh, this is a, especially this story, Purim story, is a, I guess something which doesn't necessarily have to be bound by uh, the exactitude of the language it was written in. There's something about it being eminently translatable, and maybe that's something that allows Purim to sort of have a universal type of um, appeal as well. The fact that it, you know, 
again, I've never uh, had to read the, the Megillah in another language, but as you know, it, it definitely uh, probably presents itself as possibilities for people, especially who aren't going to be going to shul this year, who are perhaps still scared of, uh, of infections. Um, I don't know if or, you're, or, or, or restricted if it's in prison, they wouldn't, they won't, the, um, they won't let me go. Usually I read the Megillah or the other rabbi uh, reads the Megillah in the chapel. And since there's no, there's no religious services to light plug. And, and also I said, well, could I just read it on the unit? Cause it happens that five of our inmates who identify as Jewish. And I, I think at least, I think most of them are Jewish. Um, uh, are all in the same unit because I just used the day room and they said no, which was somewhat of a relief. Although in, in the mental hospital, I, 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 again, I can't come in, but I'm going to lane on Zoom. They, they they have access to Zoom, so I'll lane for them. So you're going to lane the McGill on Thursday night on Zoom, and they're going to be Friday, Friday, during, Friday, Friday morning. Uh, Friday morning McGill reading. Well, you know, you should send everybody. You should send people a link, or is or is it a private link? It's only for the uh, it's only for the inmates. It's only that's in the mental hospital. That's at Rockland Psych. The Rockland Psych. Uh, yeah, well, we don't we don't we don't have access on that unit for the Zoom. I I should have tried to see what we could do, but it just it wasn't going to work for that. But uh, well, I, I, I definitely in terms of hopefully it'll be the the Hever, whoever they are in in whatever situation. Hopefully, hearing the Megillah and having the source of you reading the Megillah. Them, I know I've I've read the Megillah in nursing homes and other places I was associated with. And it's a very uplifting experience for the person who's reading it, because the people who are there are, are really holding on. And and um, you know, uh, I made sure, we make sure to sing a little bit beforehand and sing a little bit afterwards, and hopefully give them a certain flavor. The people who are in a hospital or in a any sort of situation where they can't be with chaverim, um, I think Purim probably accentuates their loneliness. Uh, Purim, which is, uh, and again, obviously this year it's going to be a lot different uh, for 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 many many people in terms of not interacting in big crowds, but especially difficult for those who are forced to be by themselves and alone. Uh, I can see how you know that might be you know, what you're doing. I think is a is a wonderful thing, along with of course the the actions of so many people in Klal Yisrael. Whether you're Makayim the Mitzvah or not, it definitely is is is, is that might be a, a question. But I think what you're doing is clearly, according to some sheet, as some postcom have already said that they you you are Yotze, We have the Chalkas Yolev, um, and and others, uh, and uh, this, I think Rev Waldenberg uh, talked about reading it over the telephone in uh, nur- nursing homes and hospitals. Uh, Zoom is definitely not is definitely is better than that, um, but still. Yeah, so I mean, over the years, I've I've lain in, in prisons and hospitals and nursing homes, all kinds of places, and it's uh, it's kind of sad to me that I don't have the opportunity to actually go inside and this year and and read less as I did last year. Last year, I I went to the to the mental hospital, and that was the last time I visited there. My wife still goes there, but I haven't been allowed in there, and it's I kind of feel bad because the the fellow who donated the Megillah. To me, you know, I I always felt it was a big schuss. So at least, even whether it's b'diavad or lechatchila, at least you know we're we're doing something with that. And it's um... all right. Well, I know that we the uh, you know we could probably come up with some poorer movies. Why don't we start with some uh, uh, movies that are built on, or at least uh, an essential aspect of them is the fact that there is a different language being spoken, or um, 
you know, especially this divide between English and whatever the foreign language is. You have anything for me on this one? Yeah, so what do you got for me? Well, I it's not exactly connected to this, but I, I remember seeing a movie called It's a Big Country. I must have seen this on TCM maybe 20 years ago. It's from 1951, MGM uh, Technicolor, I think, um, which is an anthology film with about, uh, and it was a flop. It only made back half of its budget. So it was, uh, I guess it's not, it's not a major movie, but the, well, it definitely, I know, I know it had uh, eight different segments, right? Eight different parts yeah. with, with eight different stories about how, how great America was, right? Yeah, and, and, and uh, Cuddles, S.C. Sakal, uh, yeah. plays a, a paprika salesman who's Hungarian immigrant, and he insists that his, he has seven, a few daughters. He insists they all have to marry other Hungarian-Americans, and, uh, and they're particu he's particularly against the Greeks, and he, his daughter uh, falls in love with, with a, a Greek named Icarus, which I didn't know that people uh, actually give that name in the Greek culture, but uh, it, it reminds me of uh, Gabe Kaplan's joke about Euripides, and and uh, and and he said, "Yeah, you met you you fix these." <laughs> so anyway, so I guess in that in that little vignette that stuck in your mind from twenty years ago, um, you had this idea of you know you have to speak our language. It isn't so much you're you're one of us, um, and until you do speak our language, and I guess uh, the movie was probably. Again, even though in 51, there was a little more enlightenment going on, but it sounds like what the film was trying to push was sort of like what the 20s and 30s did was that there's a melting pot and that yeah. people, immigrants need to understand and everyone needs to understand acceptance and and um, we're all going to be American and speak English anyway, right? Wasn't that sort yeah. of like the idea? It, yeah, it's it's definitely an assimilationist type of movie. Yeah. And I think one of the things that bothers me a lot about these films is even though, you know, you mentioned uh, S.J. Uh, uh, Sakal, who was one of my uh, cuddles, one of my mother's favorite, favorite actors. She always loved seeing him whenever he was on there. I remember him because of my mother's glee whenever she saw his face in any of those films, you know, and his nobody did exasperation better than he did. Right. He was he did exasperation uh, to a team. But the point was, is that there was very little of the actual language being spoken, right? Uh, I think one of the things that Hollywood uh, never grew up out of in that period was that they would, you know, they would they, they would uh, have a program, a movie that was centered in a certain country and or, 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 or nationals from that country were supposed to play a major role. And they, they were very adverse for any language except English to be spoken. You know, you would have, uh, you know, Russians speaking in thick Russian accents in English to each other. Um, uh, like we talked about in Nochka the other day, um, you know, uh, with Melvin Douglas playing a Frenchman speaking English. The, the, the idea of, of this homogenized, homogenized world, where even when we talked about people from a foreign country, everything becomes English. Um, Except and, when Jimmy Cagney spoke Yiddish. Yeah, well, that was a couple of times in some of his early roles, but 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 really, that was like proto Hollywood. I think once you get past the code and you get to the glory era of the mid '30s and the '40s, even stretching into the '50s, you know, you you, you had this 
the sense that um, that 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 the American consumer was not mature enough to be able to hear uh, much of a foreign language, um, and uh, it, it's it's disconcerting. Um, I mean, obviously today things have changed, uh, but 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 part of it was it, it takes first of all, obviously it takes away from the reality of the film when you have characters that are you know speaking you know they're they're you know they're 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 not speaking that language but again i i guess the the argument the other way is well we don't want people to read subtitles and we want people to to be invested in the characters obviously every movie is an escape so <laughs> if this character is supposed to be french but they're speaking uh, or i think one of the great tropes is is that and then all these um, biblical uh, or semi-biblical movies like Ben-Hur and other things like the Romans are always speaking English like, you know, um, you know, like Lawrence Olivier and, you know, in very, very Satorian tones, you know, they're the, they're like the British or somehow they're the powerful overlords and, uh, and you know, I, you know, Charlton Heston, who I guess plays, you know, the, uh, uh, in Ben-Hur, you know, he's, he's part of the, the Jews that they, they don't speak with English accents. I don't know. It's sort of, um, it almost makes you feel that you're too immature to be able to, to really get the real world. And, you know, I, I don't know. Um, a friend, a friend of mine who collects movie memorabilia, uh, actual, you know, props and stuff. He, he was showing off on, on Facebook that he, uh, he found at the library for 25 cents a book that was signed uh, autographed by Charlton Heston so it's 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 uh, interesting that you mention him now. No, I won't actually mention him for another reason because you know there was a film that um you know they put him in some dark makeup and of course one of I think one of his best roles where he plays Vargas in A Touch of Evil which is some people think is Orson Welles's masterpiece um you know they some people feel it's even a superior film to Citizen Kane. It has um, a little more um, technique and drama to it than Citizen Kane does, which of course is maybe all technique and <laughs> the drama is a little bit uh, hard to find. But um, in, 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 in the film, uh, A Touch of Evil, um, Charlton Heston plays the Mexican good guy. And uh, of course, Wells himself is uh, one of the villains, uh, playing the sheriff in this border town or this uh, police chief in the border town. Uh, and it's all really about what a border town is like and what does it mean, you know, a, a place where, you know, the languages are being all, in a sense, melded together. Uh, and there is obviously Spanish being spoken and real Spanish being spoken. And uh, I think that gives you. Um, you know, despite, uh, you know, re realizing it's a movie, when you do hear the, the fellows speaking Spanish and not even with, and Wells didn't even provide subtitles where you have to sort of like, sort of like you and Waymart had to figure out what was going on. I think it really adds a lot of the verite and you really get a sense of being in that country uh, when, when, that, when that is happening. Again, there, there are other films like The Treasure of Sierra Madre, which we've mentioned before, and other films where especially Spanish was being spoken, but I think that's a, um, I think that where, when, when, it, when, when the, you can trust your audience, uh, that they don't have to understand every word or, um, or, doing, or providing the subtitles, I think what you're doing is you're, you're manufacturing a, a better experience um, and an experience where you're gonna learn more about that, that community. When you have a bunch of people, immigrants that are speaking like, like uh, you know, speaking some broken English or something like that, instead of speaking Yiddish, 
um, obviously that's not really the community. Sometimes if you remember, they say, no, speak English. I want you to speak English. Right, for example, in, in West Side Story uh, is one of the things, you know, I don't, Natalie Wood obviously didn't speak um, any Spanish or very little. And I don't think George Shakiris who plays her brother spoke either. So part of uh, part of the fiction, of course, is that no, here we speak English, and that, of course, was sort of some of the the narrative, uh, uh, what they put into the narrative to uh, to explain why nobody is speaking Spanish. And I, I would get a kick out of the uh, the the dubbed movies where they would re refer to the language that was the original language that was being that was being dubbed. I think. Uh, some of the Godzilla movies, you know, they would specifically <laughs> say, "Oh, he, he doesn't speak any any uh, any Japanese," you know, <laughs> right? Because it was from Japan, right? Even though they were speaking English and they were mentioning Japanese, um, I want to throw one other thing, and then we speak about, you know, obviously, uh, you know, I, I think Spanish, uh, you know, is 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 on its way, you know, to to being the the lingua franca of the world. Uh, you know, I think it's, um, it's, it's, it's overtaking English in many ways, but a, a film that I thought brought home to me in a, in a interesting way, um, the idea of the Mexican immigrants and their, their struggle to, to assert themselves in the United States was George Stevens, uh, epic, uh, listen, you have to have three hours to watch it, Giant, I think it's from, I think it's 1955. Uh, 55 or 56 and of course uh, you can't get three bigger stars than the three that are in giant of course Elizabeth Taylor, Rock Hudson and James Dean and anybody that doesn't get a, a rise out of watching James Dean's gusher um, you know, uh, you know that's the little piece of land that he's been given and he was able to uh, somehow uh, able to get that oil come out that that moment is so fantastic but actually what i was referring to was uh one of the um actors uh who later had a career playing a totally off the wall person dennis hopper if you remember dennis hopper plays rock hudson's son and um dennis hopper is a um is in love with a mexican uh, a mexican uh, woman and part of the film is about the prejudice and the hatred uh, that that between the the, the Hispanic community, the Hispanic community, and the Texans, and um, and Rock Hudson has to learn uh, acceptance in that way. And uh, again, I saw the film in a way pushing this this idea of racial tolerance. Uh, really in light of the civil rights movement. There wasn't necessarily any African-American characters, but, but the film George Stevens was trying to give a message of racial tolerance. And part of it was accepting others and accepting them to be able to speak that language. I think one of the, the, the scene, even though everybody likes the scene with um, James Dean discovering the oil, I don't know if you remember this, but um, the last scene in the film, Rock Hudson, um, uh, is there with his daughter-in-law and his family in a diner and some uh, Texas hick um, makes a racial slur and uh, about him, about his family. And uh, Rock Hudson gets up there and uh, a wonderful little fight. I don't know if you've seen this before, but um, the, the person who had been, you know, entrenched in this 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 American only, uh, English only, anti 
uh, immigrant a type of feeling eventually you know fights for um, for that uh, for that cause and it's a it's a, it's, it's a great scene uh, really staged well I think a lot of the fight scenes that old Hollywood has, you can tell when the stunt double was there. I think in this one, it really looks like Rock Hudson was uh, really duking it out with whoever he was. Okay, I, so I know a couple of weeks ago, you know, I had a friend of mine who was a Rosh Hashiva now who hated Purim. Um, I know, you know, he, he's, he's, he's a very respected Rosh Hashiva. The, the kids love him, but he hated Purim. For him, Purim, you know, watching everybody dancing around and getting drunk, to him, it was an anathema. So that was the one day he went to go to see movies. <laughs> oh, well, so wasn't, wasn't there a famous Israeli intellectual who would who would travel? Uh, he would make sure to be the, the first day in Yushalayim and the second day in in uh, in in in. in, in uh, in 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 Tel Aviv somewhere else, so he 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 would be putter from Kriyas right. Megillah. Because... Oh, so in other words, he held like the sheet to where you are by Alois, uh determines your mitzvah. Well, yeah, I, there are definitely people who cannot get into that spirit. Uh, but I remember this fellow who's now a Rosh Hashiva. Um, you know, he would tell me about the movies he would go to. He says, "I go to a movie once a year, on Purim. It's the only time I go to the movies." So I remember that. Um, that uh, that the that he went to see Spaceballs, one point, uh-huh. right? So I said, "Look, at least you went to see a good satirist, right?" You know, Mel Brooks is there, yeah. really, <laughs> you know, not necessarily not necessarily any Frumkite or any, but uh, clearly inspired by the um, type of uh, off the wall Purim shtick. I mean, you definitely. Yeah, it was so funny when when the, our Odinist volunteer he was. He's a big fan of uh, the the Gothi who comes in. He's a big fan of Mel Brooks, and he was, you know, telling his uh, his the inmates there, you know, how important it is to have a sense of humor, particularly in their religious tradition. And he said, "Oh, and Mel Brooks, he's a very Orthodox Jew." And I was, I didn't want to contradict him, but well, like, saying, well, no, he's not. Like, well, I didn't know. Yeah, well, still, yeah, I definitely, um, you know, yeah. I, I, if we could put it this way, it would be great to have Mel Brooks in the yeshiva. That would be one thing. If, could you imagine if Mel Brooks had been grown, had been raised from, and would have been in the yeshivas? You could imagine the type of uh, the type of hilarious satirical send-ups uh, he would be able, he would be capable, he would be capable of doing. Um, and uh, look, you know. It, it, it's it definitely one. Listen, there's no way he would have had a hard time denying he's a Jew. We talked about Harrison Ford being Jewish the other day, but yeah. uh, he would have Mel Brooks would have a hard time denying he's a Jewish guy. But he never did, despite the fact that he married Anne Bancroft and other things. I think you know we, we could probably give him that schuss that he that that he recognizes, um, you know, where his Shirish is from, and and if we can channel some of his his satirical uh, eye and, and 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 sense of good fun. I think we're probably doing well if we can use some of that. So I, I would assume my Rosh Hashiva friend, um, who now probably does celebrate Purim, maybe celebrates it with a little bit of a, a Brooksian twinkle in his eye. All right, Vitzchok, I wish you the best. You and your mishpacha, your kids sound like they're ready. And for everyone out there, we'll see you, Mirz Hashem, hopefully on the other side with more to stir with love. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. 
Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 